Warning, Mombies will discuss information regarding true crime or other topics that are spooky in nature. This may be offensive to some listeners. For more information on the potential trigger warnings in this episode, please review our show notes and be cautious when listening. I'm Beth. I'm Christina. And I'm Holly. And we're the Mombies. That's a great question. Weird. Just just absolutely strange. How do you even do that? I feel like that's gotta mean something. Something, something, something. Welcome to the first episode of the Mommy's Podcast for All Things Horror. Or as our socials say, moms who like spooky shit. I'm your host, Christina. And I'm Holly. And we are going to discuss with you the life and crimes of Dr. Joseph Michael Swango. Before we begin, we wanted to direct you one more time to the content warning you just heard at the beginning of the episode. Each episode, we will play our general content warning, but in addition to this, we will list any episode-specific content warnings in the show notes. Please be sure to review this before listening. So Holly, you don't know anything about Dr. Swango, do you? Is that correct? No, I feel like I might know parts of it, but really for the most, I don't. I've thought about it a few times, but I'm like, not going to look anything Good. else up. not going to check it out. But so I feel like I, once you talk about it, it may bring back a little bit, but for the most part, no. For the most part, you're going to be learning. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, let's jump in. I have a terrifying tale of a serial killer who played God with his patients. So Dr. Swango was born uh, Joseph Michael Swango, October 24th or excuse me, October 21st in 1954 in Tacoma, Washington. Um, But he goes by Michael Swango for all of his life. So we're going to drop the Joseph here. I didn't want to confuse anyone with that, but he was born Joseph Michael Swango. Um, Again, he'll be referred to as Michael or Swango in the episode. So his parents were Muriel and John Virgil Swango, and he was the middle of three boys Virgil was an army officer, and he served in the Vietnam War, and due to his military career, the family moved frequently, Um, but they were able to, in 1968, so when Michael was 14, they were able to settle in Quincy, Illinois. Okay. So Virgil was an alcoholic, and he was probably self-medicating his own PTSD. He was very strict, and he ran his household as if it were a military operation. That makes sense. Yeah. Sounds fun. Yeah, exactly, right? Desirable, huh? Um, when they settled in Quincy, he was actually able to start spending more time with the family, um, probably much to their dismay. He didn't sound like a very pleasant person. Um, and he and Muriel do eventually divorce. But Muriel Swango was not much better. Uh, she was an effective mother, but she wasn't very um, compassionate. She didn't show a lot of affection to her sons. Uh, but she did, however, dote on Michael. She viewed him very special and put him on a pedestal from a very early age, telling him and others just how special he was. Michael was actually even enrolled at the Quincy Catholic Boys School while his brothers went to public school. So they really set him apart and tried to set him up. Um, he was the pride of the family. Was he smarter? Did he? Was there a reason? Yeah, great question, because actually his, I was going to discuss next, his IQ. He, he was tested at some point. 
and his score was 160. So a little bit about so a little smart, a little bit, just just a, a touch. Um, and actually, for reference, a little bit about the IQ test is that um, generally the population is between 85 and 115. So less than 3% is actually higher than 130. Oh my God. And conversely, less than you know 3% is lower than 75. Um, Stephen Hawking was said to have an IQ of 160. So that gives you a reference of the type of genius oh my level. Gosh. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, terrifying. Terrifying. A genius murder. Why are there so many murderers that have such a, high a IQs? A doctor genius murderer at that. <laughs> oh, how, how much worse can you get, really? So he graduated high school in 1972 as class valedictorian. He was very gifted musically. He could sing and play piano, but his clarinet skills are what really shined. Okay. Um, yeah. He received a full music scholarship to Millican University in Decatur, Illinois. And during this time, he has a girlfriend. He tours with an ensemble group. So he's having a very normal college experience by all counts. Um, however, about halfway through, the girlfriend breaks up with him. And there's not a lot of information on this, but either she was very popular and had people essentially choose sides or something happened and he eventually became a social pariah at school. He became withdrawn. Um, he became more radical in his ideas and expressed his interest to join the military. That first um, heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. Really wrecked mm -hmm. him. So he did end up dropping out and joining the military. That's a change of path there. Quite, yeah. From, from a musical mm -hmm. ensemble group to fatigues. <laughs> it's quite the transition. Um, also something to note that his friends also, before he left the school, that they were very concerned with his hobby of cataloging um, car crashes in, in scrapbooks. So a little bit of note about this. He started this at a very young age. He started uh, clippings from newspapers and magazines of horrific car crashes. It eventually ended up including images from the Holocaust. Oh. I mean, he was fascinated with it. And his mom, strangely enough, encouraged that. Maybe not encouraged, but she at least helped where she would have clippings of her own that she would pass to him and yeah. you know say for your scrapbook you know I'm slightly intrigued isn't that isn't that wild that. yeah slightly yeah you know what though and think about back then so you're talking about even before so the 70s even before that if he was younger how much information was in the newspaper back then oh, like absolutely they just talked about everything and all the details absolutely this was before you know war was broadcast so it was it was all in the newspaper so that was his way of making little collages of you know tragedies so he was just feeding that from yeah. a young age from a young age mm -hmm. and actually um side note inter interesting side note when his father passes away his mother gives him his father's own scrapbooks he that he was unaware of he didn't know his father also kept these kind of scrapbooks like weird scrapbooks of you know tragic events Duh. what yeah yeah and he at the time you know this was in, in the future he was working as an emt at the time um mentioned to a colleague i guess my old man wasn't so bad after all <laughs> oh <laughs> my god weird just just absolutely strange so, as I mentioned, he does go into the Marines, 
And during this time, he learns sharpshooting skills, uh, but he never sees any time in the battlefield. So he ultimately decides he wants to become a doctor, where it seems to be where he is thinking he could be around death all the time, his fascination with death. He is honorably discharged, and at that time, he returns to Illinois to apply for college once once again. And how old is he now at this time? Um, You know, let's see. When did he start at Quincy? I think it was... Early 70s? Yeah. Well, 72 is when he graduated high school. Uh, I, I can't I can't find it in my notes here right off the bat when he started Quincy. But I so think it was probably it was only mid to late 70s. Mid at to late this 70s. Point. Okay. Correct. I, I I believe it was 76. Okay. But I can't say that for sure. I'm not so seeing it. So he's in his mid 20s. Correct. Okay. Yep. Okay. So he joins or he applies for Quincy College in Quincy, Illinois. And he goes for an undergraduate in chemistry. And it's at this point that he starts to lie even um, about his military achievements. He co- he makes claims that he received a bronze star and a purple heart. Um, shows a sense of self-inflated sense of accomplishment and a complete lack of ethics. Oh, my gosh. Which is not something that you want um, in a doctor. So Swango continues his military regiments while he's back at college. He's often running or doing other sorts of calisthenics on, around the campus in his fatigues. And he's known to just drop down and do 50 push-ups in the middle of class for getting an answer wrong. So people are finding him strange. But as I mentioned before, he was a very intelligent man. And one of his professors at Quincy, um, Professor William Gasser, was interviewed on a documentary I watched. And he was actually stating um, how much he very much enjoyed Michael. He said he was a very nice guy. He was energetic. He uh, he enjoyed talking to him um, because he was so highly intelligent. And I can only imagine it's one of those, you know, students that's like super interested in the in the um, content that you're teaching. Oh, I would absolutely. imagine that's fun to indulge in, and um, you know, with him being so so smart, it would be a level kind I of. I was going to say a much more level Iraq conversation. Oh yeah. Right. So while at Quincy, he also wins the American Chemical Society Award for Best Chemistry Grad in the country. So it was a point of pride, not only for his family, but for Quincy, Illinois. It was a big deal. It was um, for anyone in the entire United States. So he wins. <gasps> what a waste. <sighs> Truly. Senior year of college, he has to write a thesis. So he chooses um, to write about a, a writer, a Bulgarian writer named Georgi Markov. Markov himself studied chemistry at university, but then he began writing. Um, Georgie was eventually murdered by being poisoned by ricin. So um, it's believed, this is a crazy story. It's believed it was someone connected to the KGB and the Bulgarian Secret Service. Um, He lived in London at the time, but he uh, obviously was from Bulgaria. And his broadcasts of how much of his disdain for the Communist Party and, and their leader... Uh, it he it was broadcast in Bulgaria, so they had it out for him. Um, and while he was just crossing the Waterloo Bridge over the the River Thames in London on his way to work at BBC, he felt a sharp pain in his leg, and he spins around and he sees a man holding an umbrella who just mutters an apology and then, you know, kind of runs away. So Markov complained about the pain in his leg all day. He finally heads to the hospital later that evening, and he dies four days later. Whoa. 
Interestingly, there was no immediate like postpartum examination because everyone was kind of alluding to prior health conditions and these types of poisons can mimic um, you know, heart failure, other medical issues. So it wasn't until three weeks later that an autopsy was performed and there was a small pellet found the size of a pinhead found in his leg said to have contained the ricin. Even that small amount of ricin can be fatal. Oh my gosh. What do you just, how do you get it in there? Just like shoot. True. Good question. Yeah, right? <laughs> Especially back then, just shoving that straight in the fat there. Oh. Well, so, I mean, even, you know, making the pellet, because they say it, ricin can be inhaled. So, like, I don't know how you'd even the create process, this weapon. Yeah. yeah. Or like how he created, who, you know, Swango does eventually use such types of poison. How he concocts these mixtures, it's, it's beyond me. So it said that this time is when he really became interested in the silent killer poisons, those that are, you know, undetectable from normal screenings. So again, a little bit of information about ricin. It's actually made from castor beans, um, waste from leftover from processing castor beans into castor oil. It can be turned into an aerosol and inhaled. So I guess it has to be turned into that, that form to be inhaled. Um, or it can also be ingested through food or water, or it can be ingest, injected. Yeesh. Signs or symptoms. If inhaled, it can cause fever, chest tightness, cough, and severe respiratory problems, including fluid buildup in the lungs. Ingested ricin causes intestinal bleeding and organ damage. Oh. So the poison can kill within three days of exposure, even a small amount, as we discussed. Oh, and it's slow. Yeah. I mean, that's not because it's four days, but like that. Organ failure. I mean, that's that's painful. That's a... That's a slow death, or it can be. It's like poetic, the man that he admired. He's just going to yeah. copy his death. Yep. Gross. So he does graduate Quincy. Yeah, it is super gross. I totally agree. He graduates Quincy, summa cum laude, uh, in 1979. So okay. mid, mid, mid to late 70s. After graduation, he pursues medical school, Um in the 80s, there was a saturation of applicants into the medical field, but despite this, he is accepted at Southern Illinois University. Um, he was very charming and very intelligent, so he beat out other applicants. Um, Southern Illinois, or SIU, was a school of medicine, and here he would do, um, in his third year, would start seeing patients. So did his schoolwork. He was known for being arrogant, being lazy, um, but it wasn't until his third year that he actually starts being dangerous. Okay. Because that's when he starts seeing patients um, firsthand. So interestingly enough, I've told uh, you this before, but my mom, I, I believe I told you this before, my mom was a nurse. She was an OBGYN nurse and actually worked with Swango. What? While he I was feel doing... like part of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and I didn't know all of the information. I actually spoke with her last night to, to confirm some more details from her. She didn't know. I mean, it, it. she was a nurse. They were doctors. They were doing rotations. They didn't pay much mind to the nurses. So yeah. it wasn't like much stood out about him. He was, you know, for reference, a tall, handsome, blonde doctor. So I'm okay. sure he caught people's attention, but he, it, insignificant. Aside from the fact that um, what was memorable and what she remembers was that he failed his OBGYN rotations due to a scandal. Um, oh, wow. 
So what happens? So it's, you know that's just a little bit about her connection to him, and that's freaking her. awesome. And actually, he worked as a paramedic at the time um, while he was at SIU, um, actually blowing off coursework and important exams to go to his his EMT his pager would go off, and he'd you know run and and do. He was more invested in that than he was in schoolwork, really. Um, but my mom's fellow colleague, her husband, worked with him as a paramedic at the time. Could not confirm whether or not he started poisoning his co- his coworkers at this time, but there there was incidents where he's he's poisoned his coworkers. So, just an inter- interesting uh, personal Ooh. side personal side note of yeah, so my mom connection. Got poisoned. Exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you tell her that. You should tell her that. Yeah, I think she. You got lucky, right? So, um. As I mentioned, during his third year, he's doing rotation. So he's he's at the OBGYN clinic at Memorial Hospital in Springfield, Illinois, which is where my family's from. Um, and as we mentioned, he was working as a paramedic at the time. So he's blowing off exams. His peers are noticing. Um, eventually, it catches the notice of the, the lead um, professor who's overseeing the OBGYN rotation. So what he would do is he would go into the room and then he'd only come out after like five minutes i mean these these should have taken a half hour to even an hour and a half for some of these like medical history exams that he's doing and he would turn in um very detailed reports so obviously he was falsifying information oh and not actually meeting with them um as he said he would at least five patients during his time after being visited now he was also aside from the OBGYN, he was also at another hospital doing general rotations um this is the early stages of his crime, so not much is known, but they they did mention, sources have mentioned that five patients died during his time after being visited by Swango. I asked my mom how much, because he's just a student at the time. I was so, going to say he's third year yeah, still. Okay. So I asked her, I was like, how much you know exposure did these patients have to him as a student doctor? And she said, you know, it's strange because it should have been, it should have been the student, an intern, and a resident at all times and then as well as nurses um however in later you know accounts he's just sneaking into these rooms i mean he's 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 saying oh i'm doing rounds i'm doing rotations whatever but he's going to these rooms by himself okay i'm just injecting these people but even depending on what patient floor he's on he could inject someone while other people are in the room absolutely you know, if they're a patient that's not you know that's in a coma or what you know absolutely. not awake at the moment just sneaking Maybe in. Maybe able to just boop. Yeah, absolutely. And he would be so bold as to mm-hmm. think he could do something like that. So a lot of, uh, an alarming amount of his patients are either code, or, well, I shouldn't say either coding, but coding and or dying. And his fellow students are starting to notice. So during this time, he gains the nickname of Double O Swango, meaning he has the license to kill. Oh. Yeah. This is, and this was, they believe that, you know, some doctors and medical students could tend to have a little bit of a dark humor. I think um, what was thought at the time was that these people are just trying to reconcile this in their minds. Like, they're not thinking he's going in and killing people. They're, they're just, poking fun at they're a poking hard fun. moment. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to lighten the mood. In the dark humor. I see yeah. the dark humor in it. So, yeah, I can get that. Up. So, you, you want to be like, well, did you... Did you tell somebody, you know, did you get them in trouble? But no, I mean, they're just, they didn't, they didn't know. And there's still, a lot of them are still students themselves learning. I mean, they just, 
And if you're on that type of floor where people are... People are dying. Dying, yeah. 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 They did start to, however, notice a trend. Um, And an odd detail is he was so bold about it and brazen about it. He wasn't even, like, hiding it. He would write... They had this chalkboard that was a grid of all their different patients. And he would go up there and write D-I-E-D over the patient's name of his patients that died. And they would be like, well, fuck. You know, don't you feel bad? And he was like, these things just happen. Oh, shit. I mean, but part of that, I don't feel like doctors like say that out loud, but part of that, you do have to have some form of thick, thick skin to be that kind of doctor, especially if we're going to work in an emergency room or a hospital ward where those, those people are dying because it happens every day. Absolutely. Right. Probably not smack died on the paper, but yeah. Right. <laughs> be a little kinder. But the, I'm sure they're probably thinking, well, everyone deals with it differently, mm-hmm. you know? So they start, but people start to complain. And so this lead professor of the OBGYN department kind of baits him a little bit. She sends him in to do um, a comprehensive medical history on an OBGYN patient. And he comes out in less than five minutes and then turns in a very detailed report that just could not have happened in that amount of time. So at that time, she failed him and she failed his rotation, which effectively meant he would not graduate that year. Oh my gosh. And you would think that's crazy. I mean, he's obviously starting to spiral a little bit, but this is your whole point. You should finish school. Right. First, right. Before you freak out. Especially before you start, I don't know, harming your patients. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe get that They're going to get a job anyway. First. Yeah. Oh, murderers. They're so silly. <sighs> silly murderers. Silly, silly criminals. So, um, it, it, at the time, he'd already been accepted as at a resi- residency program for neurosurgery in Iowa. Um, but he would have to forfeit because he did not pass that year. So, at this time, they took a broader look at his competency and started to discuss expulsion. So, Swango, sensing he had no other options... And with his degree on the line, he hired a lawyer. Um, Swango's fellow students joined in on the review and filed formal complaints about him. His personality and competency made him grossly negligent and unqualified for clinical work. But the legal battle reached an agreement. Um, Swango could retake his senior year and graduate a year behind as long as he was able to pass his OBGYN rotation and complete additional work proving his competency. Okay. So it's it's frustrating because you feel like at that time it's like, no, I mean, obviously he's not cut out for this. But at the same time, it's still so early on in his criminal career that I can see why they'd be like, all right, you know what? You need, just need to prove to us that you can do this. If we don't see that from you, then you're done. Right. right? So I get that. You uh, know? Yeah. So the next year, he buckles down and he focuses on his studies and he passes the OBGYN rotation and aces his extra assignments. So that leads to him to graduate SIU in 1983. How does he? How do you just change that? Like, just go I, psycho for a minute and not do your stuff right, truly. not do anything, and then like, okay. And it's it's wild to me because later on we'll find too that he shows gross incompetence and in even some of the basic type of you know medical care. It's like, it's so strange to me. He's so smart and so able to ace exams and, you know, rotations and fool so many people. But then it's like, 
it does seem like he switches it on and off. Like I'm competent, not competent, competent, not competent. It's it's wild. Like his multiple personality or yeah, I don't know. It could be because I mean he does is. He, does he have diagnoses or anything that you for, that you know? You know, good question. Not that I've seen. Okay. Um, I would. I mean, definitely narcissistic personality disorder. I would say a purely opinion, um, but pretty evident. But um, there's no formal diagnoses for him. So after he graduates, or you know. Before he graduates, he secures a prestigious and highly sought-after surgical internship at Ohio State OSU, um, Ohio, Ohio State University, to be followed by a residency in neurosurgery. So he beat out a ton of other applicants for this spot. So despite his hiccups at school, again, it just shows his ability to manipulate, because they do interviews and all that stuff for this kind of thing, mm -hmm. his ability to charm, manipulate, you know, self-inflate. Um, it's impressive. Gosh, right. Sadly, it's so sadly, it's impressive. Yeah. How can you do those types of things and still just function as a normal human being? Right. I can't imagine. The fight happening in your brain. Exactly. And to have to live up to the, like the lies that you would tell or whatever. Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's wild. Obviously he doesn't care because it's a common theme throughout his life that people notice his, once you get past the facade of the charm that his idiosyncratic behaviors, it's, yeah, it's very evident. So, um, he was an excellent, as we said, an excellent manipulator with his charm and intelligence. And at first, um, the staff and the nurses at OSU are quite taken with him. He's charming. Like I mentioned, he's a handsome blonde doctor, tall doctor. And it doesn't take long for them to notice, however, the cracks in his facade. He was part of an elite group of surgical interns, and they were under direct observation. So there was a uh, microscope. You know, he was oh, underneath yeah. the microscope. Supervisors wrote notes about observed deficiencies and worried comments about his com his competency some of the notes said that he spoke freely about the holocaust and other tragedies giving his professors unease about his strange ideas and feelings on death he made it very clear he lacked the compassion to practice medicine and this is as soon as he starts this internship soon. yep just... he wastes no time it's it's crazy, and we'll talk to as um, some of the more confirmed deaths occur. How how quickly they in succession of each other that they happen. I mean, he just doesn't waste any time. So, uh, although you know, in, again, once under the microscope and noticing that some not great things are being uh, said and notated about him, he feels powerless he starts to spiral he starts to feel like he's losing his grip of of the power of being this doctor that respected and um you know can kind of do and say what he wants so his outlet to this and his solution to this is fatal on january 14th 1984 um swango visits cynthia mcgee she was a 19-year-old gymnast in excellent health who was struck by a vehicle while riding her bike on campus with her boyfriend. She was recovering from a broken arm, broken leg, pelvic area was broken, and some injuries to her head. So a lot of injuries. But despite this, she was expected to make a full recovery and have a normal life. Boss. <laughs> yeah, she was 
you know, they... It's what happens when you're 19 years old. Exactly. Fresh bones. <laughs> exactly. A little more resilient. <laughs> um, and she was an athlete, so she was in excellent health. So after a visit from him, as I mentioned on January 14th, she dies of a heart attack and it baffles the nurses who are attending her. Just so... Where he's working for this internship is tied to a hospital? Correct. Okay. So the internship, from what I gather, is kind of like the it's the precursor to a residency, but seems to be pretty similar to what you do in a residency. You're, you're just, you're making rounds, you're having patient care. Okay. I guess in my head I was thinking it was like a doctor's office, like a surgery place, so, but this gotcha. is tied right. to the hospital. It okay. is tied to the that? hospital. Okay. Yep, yep. On January 31st, so not long after, he visits um, an elderly patient named Ruth Barrick. She's recovering from a uh, cerebral hematoma, but was making a full recovery. However, after a visit from Swingo, she goes into respiratory arrest and had to be resuscitated. Several sources um, were different on this. One of the sources said after she was resuscitated resuscitated and um, recovering, he actually visited her again and she again went into respiratory arrest. And then after that, she was transported into intensive care. So she was out of Michael's rotations. What? However, a week later, February 6th, she's recovering. So she's back in his unit again. And he pays her yet another visit. After he left the room, a nurse went in to check on on Ruth and she was blue and gasping for air. So she called in a code blue and began emergency mouth to mouth and Michael had re-entered the room and was watching but not helping. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Creepy, right? Like just and and get this. Once she started the mouth to mouth, he even makes a comment about how, ooh, that's so gross. Stop. Oh, this poor old woman. He yeah. literally kills her three times. Three times, yeah. She's like, get the fuck out of my room. She's like, stay Please. away from me. Whoa. Yes. It, soon, you know, other doctors do come in to assist the nurse, but Ruth sadly passes away. <sighs> so I just, feel like we should know now that. Yeah. This is you guys. Seems to be a, to be a pattern. Two is a, a big enough number of like, okay, two people have died. And like, it's close together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you had <laughs> much time to forget, you know? <laughs> and, but it's, you know, I mean, part of it to me is that. Two, it's like you're different institutions. You know, he was at SIU, now he is at OSU. So it starts over again with new people. They're not quite seeing the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So despite the attending nurse believing she had caught him in the act, because they had started, like you said, suspecting, um, her official cause of death is listed as uh, cardiopulmonary arrest due to a stroke. So it was deemed natural causes. Yeah, from the poison taking a toll on her poor <laughs> right. old body. Right? Oh, I just can't imagine. 24 hours later, 24 hours later, after Ruth's passing, former nurse Rena Cooper was recovering from a back operation. After putting something into her IV, she suffers a medical crisis. She couldn't speak, but she was able, and he was in the room with her, she was able to shake her bed rails to get the nurse's attention. So the next morning, still in a weakened state, you know, she wasn't able to speak the night before. She's resting. The next morning she wakes up. She's able, still, she's still unable to speak at this point. She requests the pen and paper and she writes down that a tall blonde doctor put something in her IV. Oh! 
And the nurses were shocked and confused. And Rena, being a, a, a nurse herself, this is confusing because doctors are actually not supposed to even give injections. It should the be nurses. the nurses. Yep. Yeah, I didn't really... I never even thought about that. Yeah, so he's not even supposed to be giving people injections. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Never thought about that. We had always the nurses. Mm-hmm. So during this time, um, Richard DeLong, 21 years old, and then another victim, Rain Walker, different sources on his age, but he was about mid-40s, also died under Swango's watch. So young, probably mostly healthy people. So how did they, he get two more people and they still haven't put that together? I mean, how many tall, blonde, handsome doctors are there at this hospital in the, what, early 80s? <laughs> right. Well, they, you know, he sees a lot of people. They see a lot of people. I'm sure, you know, the, these not that patients are just a number by any means, but I'm sure it kind of starts to blend together a little bit. But they do, after Rena Cooper's experience, the nurses do bring this to management. Um, they start their complaints. They let them know, like, what they've been seeing. Um, one of the nurses has seen Swango, like, just um, uh, throw away a syringe after visiting. I believe it was Rena. Perhaps it was um, Cynthia. But... Either way, they bring it to management. And it was, but it was their word against his. And during that time period, nurses weren't held in as high regard as, as doctors. Mm -hmm. So they, they interview um, them and other people. And then um, they, they bring in Michael to interview him. And the charmer that he is, they believe his word over the rest. (laughs) Okay, so how many victims are we in now at this point? You're pushing 10 people? Yeah, ten, I mean, 10 people that he's that he's been associated with. The, the difficult thing about this case is that um, they... Are these just suspected? They're suspected. Okay. Right. These Even the ones that I've mentioned that seem to be a direct cause of, of Michael... Um, we'll find out a little bit more about Cynthia, but Ruth never is officially tied to him i okay. mean again these are just assumptions so they're just these, assumptions. So these people he's not charged with their murders correct okay so right now we have zero murders. zero i mean yeah he's okay. he's pretty much on cloud nine thinking he's in but how many people have we talked about how many have you talked about so far so there's uh it's gotta be between five this. about 10 people okay so far that we've discussed okay. yeah oh In a very short amount of time. In a very short amount of time. Yeah, Yeah. just a couple of years' time. So what, it was 83? And then like that too. Like that you're so smart, but that you can be that fucking crazy and just walk in and kill that many people and just have a meeting and just woo them. And just be like, oh, it wasn't me. What what can you even prove, you know? Um, And that's the hard part is that they don't have physical evidence. Some of these poisons, if not... Most of the ones that he's using will leave the body or they're not as detectable as, you know, unless you're really looking for something like that. And even in that case, it's difficult to prove. Um, And they don't have any physical evidence. So it's like, and and it mimics other health conditions. So they can, I mean, any kind of defense from him can be like, well, maybe it was a heart, heart attack. They must have had something going on with their heart that was not detected or whatever, you know. Right. It's a lot of he said, she said, and unfortunately in our justice system that doesn't And he knows all that. that. He's gone to school to be a doctor, so he knows all the ins and outs and the secrets and how to Absolutely. do it. Oh. 
And I'm sure he's doing his own research mm-hmm. on his own time as to the effects of this stuff, um, the de- how it's detected or, you know, whatever. He's a smart, smart man. He's so, still alive? He is still alive. Oh, fuck. He is still alive. So, <clears throat> excuse me. He is allowed to continue on his internship. So his method of poisoning, as we've discussed, has been injecting the poisons directly in their IV lines, but he's about to get a little bit more experimental in his methods. Michael begins targeting the colleagues who had testified against him in the investigation. One nurse in particular (sighs) noticed her lunch being tampered with and started having um, bouts of nausea and headaches. Um, other people, you know, complained or would mention or, or were seemingly ill after oh. after this. Yeah. However, Michael was then transferred to a new ward to begin his surgical rotation. So, again, we're starting. It's just it, that's the hard part of this is you. he's constantly rotating to different new groups of people. Mm-hmm. And the so pe- right when they're thinking, yeah, we've got this guy. We're going to watch this guy. Which is mainly just his fellow, you know, doctors and nurses because the higher ups don't want to deal with it. They're they don't want a lawsuit from or to deal with any kind of legal issues with Michael or any legal issues from the patients and their families if they start to really claim these things have happened. Oh, absolutely. That opens them up to liability. So it's kinda of like they just, you know, shuffle them off. Off to your next rotation in the surgical ward. This looks super fucking suspicious, but it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, pro- it's probably okay. It'll work itself out. So, um, during his time there, more patients start to die or code when, after, his, after uh, a meeting with him. So, we mentioned, let's see, Rena Cooper. She was February 7th. So, again, just the time frame of this is wild to me. Charlotte Warner, 70, 72 years old. Uh, was doing well after a recent surgery, was found dead in her room on February 19th. What? So after, you know, an investigation and all that had to have happened in such a short period of time, right back at it. Oh, what was that, 17 days? Yeah. So, um, what? Yeah. And again, he, he just graduated in 1983. This is 1984. These are just, it's just crazy to me, his, his boldness. Um, Charlotte was found with blood clots found in several of her organs. His next victim, also on February 19th, Evelyn Perini began bleeding from her eyes and other orifices. The resident physician had no explanation for what had begun her hemorrhaging. Um, Another doctor even mentioned something about it resembling like a snake, like a poisonous snake bite. So did you say how he was... Now administering the poison? He, for the patient, so he was, he started to experiment with, I I don't think I mentioned this, or with the nurse, it was her food. So like her lunch. So he's starting to experiment with like ingesting. Okay. But he's also still doing the injections. Okay. I think the, mainly injections are the easiest for the patients because they're all hooked up to an IV. So is he using different poisons since like you're seeing this difference with the blood and her eyes and all that? That's what's thought. Okay. At this time as he's feeling very bold starting to experiment a little bit more yeah. because what would have one poison could that cause different symptoms like that the so we'll hear a little bit later on but there it's believed he's he's mixing he's okay. making his own concoctions oh that's nice to see what he what he prefers 
Oh. And again, these these um, patients that we're discussing here, we'll find the ones that he you will hear at the end who officially gets linked to. Um, but none of these are officially linked. I mean, it's it's suspected, and it's you can use your own, you know, common sense or otherwise to come to the conclusion that you come to. Um, however, it just it seems uh, everyone's tying these people to him. Yeah, and you can see why. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next day, <laughs> February twentieth. This one's sad. So, and, I mean, they're all sad. But this so right now he's just thirty. He's about thirty years old. Just yeah. A so over. eighty. Yeah. Yeah. So he's fifty-four. He was born. So mm-hmm. Okay. Thirty years old. Next day, February twentieth, Anne May Popko, twenty-two, was re- recovering from a normal intestinal operation, and her mom was sitting sitting by her bed, just um, paying a visit. And Michael comes in and he shoes her mom out the door and says, "This won't be long. I just need to give your daughter an injection." Well, not long after that, he goes and finds her in the hallway and just bluntly and just dead-eyed looks at her and says, she's gone. What the fuck? Your daughter's dead. One source even said he said something to the effect of, you can go look at her. No! Yeah. Oh, my motherfucker. Yeah. See right there, you be, you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. You're because there's yeah. no doubt in my mind that if the, I'd be like, you're fucked, you just killed her. Excuse me. Right. She was totally fine 10 minutes ago. Oh, that's so scary. I'm never going to the doctor fucking ever again. Because what would you do at that point? Like, depending... Your daughter is 22, so technically, they're, she's an adult, so they can tell you to get out, I guess, depending on whatever they're going to say or do, but no. Yeah, and... I mean, you don't expect. Like, the doc- the doctor's like, I need some time with your daughter or whatever. I mean... I'm like, sure, yeah, I'm in the hospital. And he's, he's manipulated. He's charming. He's commanding. I'm sure she probably was just like, uh, okay, I don't want to be in your way. You know, whatever you need. Yeah. So, due to all of these circumstances that just seem to be adding up to nefarious... You mean all the death? All the death. (laughs) And all the weird things he says and does has resulted in um, March of that year, he was notified that after his internship ended, he would not be brought back for the residency program. So again, it's just like they're just passing the buck. They're just like, well, you know, we don't really want you back here. We're not gonna. He did actually even receive some like recommendation letters from some of his professors. What? Yeah, it's just wild to me. Um, Who are you people? Truly, I'm gonna find you. I'll write you a recommendation you letter. Yeah, and even if you what don't feel, fuck? I mean, because they take they take a Hippocratic oath, you know, to do no harm and do whatever you can. Well, look to at be... that. We think you may or may not have killed sixteen people, yeah. but right. <laughs> we'll recommend you elsewhere. <laughs> Just don't come back here. <laughs> Kick rocks. Um. So he after he was noticed as a parting gift, he brings in fried chicken for everyone to enjoy. Oh my fucking fuck. <laughs> and people this is how much people just must not have been putting things together. They they ate it and they got sick. No one no one died, but yeah. Ew. <sighs> <laughs> what? It's just crazy. And in his boldness, you know, to just be like, well, just my answer to my world spinning out of control because of my poisoning instances, my, you know, resolution to that is just go poison some more. 
<laughs> that makes sense. I think you guys want some chicken. It won't be obvious oh. that all of you are sick. It must be this just chicken. It's yeah. bad chicken. Just the bad chicken. Just food poisoning. Yeah. What? But obviously he's still going to be a doctor after this. So there's some, there, he didn't get his, he, a source did say he actually was licensed or did receive a license to practice medicine in Ohio. Um, but I don't think that's the case because I feel like he would have then stayed there because his, his result, his end goal was to practice medicine. Um, it wasn't to move around. So I don't know why he wouldn't stay if that was the case, but either way he had not, I think, I I don't know. I think either way, I don't think he has his license at this point. Okay. So your mom sees him later still. This is still in the future that your mom's tied to him? No. That was when he was at SIU doing his... Oh, okay. She was an OBG, the OBGYN professor. Oh, She okay. actually thinks she knows who the professor was that failed him. You okay, know, that, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's that was her... She's the one that introduced me to him because, you know, wildly enough, there's not a lot of... Um, but there was some poisoning going on at coverage. that time. Right? Right. Right. They were, he was linked to about five people that died at that time. Yeah. Wow. So your mom was right there. Right? And he was right a, something to note, and I didn't talk about this because he's a, he's a paramedic now again, when he moves back to Quincy, as we'll find out here in a second, but he was a paramedic before, too, when he was at SIU. Actually, I think I did mention that because he was taking his calls as opposed to going to classes. Yes. Yes. So he, um, he at that time was potentially poisoning coworkers at that point in time too. I, I don't, I don't recall. It was maybe mentioned, but I don't quite think so. Um, he was, however, like disciplined, like he was, he would just do strange things and it was noticed. He made one, um, heart patient who was having like cardiac arrest, drive themselves to the hospital. Like he came there and was like, you should just drive yourself. Oh. And so, yeah, like just doing strange just things. He was, havoc he was experimenting. He was testing. He was pushing limits. He was pushing how far he could take people to the brink. Um, Especially when you out, you hold that power where people are just going to be like, well. Right. Okay. Yeah. You, you say you so. Say. Yeah. You're the expert. Mm-hmm. Odd. So after he leaves OSU, he does return to Quincy and he begins work once again as a paramedic. Because uh, he got a recommendation letter. Okay. Because I'm like, well, who's going to hire him? But he got the letters still yeah. to help with that. Okay. And, and honestly, truly, at this point in time, really, although they didn't invite him back to a residency, he didn't, he was not, it's not like he's been expelled or he's been suspended right. or anything like that. He doesn't have any negative officially negative marks per se. I mean, he has, he, uh, there were some doctors that put notes in his file at SIU about, you know, don't, he's not good. Like don't, he's not competent or whatever, but there's not really anything totally official. So in record keeping back then is probably garbage. Oh, I'm going from place to place like that to see what's happening here. So nobody, once he goes where he is now is seeing like there was five people here, there are 10 people here. And, you know, you'll see later he he's able to fake some things. So even, you know, using a good old Xerox machine oh was my. able to, you know, so it's, it's, you're right. I mean, it's not as high tech as it is now, obviously, um, snail mail and whatnot. But he does, I mean, they, they do when he begins work as a paramedic, his colleagues um, were actually on the documentary I watched. One of them was interviewed and he, he says he remembers thinking, why would you downgrade 
you could make money being a doctor. Why would you choose to come work as a paramedic? And um, Swango had something to the effect of like being humbled and like get, getting the experience of this kind of work or, you know, whatever. So he, he had excuses for everything. You motherfucker. Yeah, total motherfucker. It's like that's easier access. Yeah. Most of those people are dying. Yeah. And what the get this? <laughs> he starts turning up at accidents off duty. He's not even called to this ac- these accidents, some of these accidents. Um, like I said, one of his fellow uh, paramedics was on this documentary. Um, Brent Unmissig was his name, and he goes, "Here they are in the middle of an accident scene, middle of the night, to find Michael Swango on the top of the hood, taking pictures of these victims inside the car." He's not there starting IVs or making sure uh, to know how the how their blood p- pressure is um, or whatever he could do to stop the bleeding. He was there taking their pictures, taking the pictures of the victims inside the car. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like getting getting the right angles. I mean, like perf- like a professional photographer going around and snapping shots. Taking it home to a stupid... Stupid scrapbooks. Scrapbook oh, death binder. I know. I hate I, I hate it. I hate all of it. And then still at that point, you're not like, yo, bro, hmm. is something wrong with you? Mm, this is this is strange, What a quickie dink. You just happen to be right fucked, here at this, this car accident. <laughs> so death was his life from a super young age. Truly. That means he's listening to these radio calls or whatever Truly. all the time and then just driving there. And just doing it, yeah. So, once again, he starts experimenting on his co-workers. Um, first, he brings them donuts. Uh, and then he treats them to different beverages. Um, another of his co-workers, Greg Myers, who then, you know, ends up becoming like the lead of the ambulance service and all that. But he was quoted uh, later talking about how he became violently ill after consuming a Diet 7-Up given to him by Michael. He's So he's drinking... This is after they had been poisoned by these donuts. So he's drinking, like, several days later, still nauseous, drinking the 7-Up because he's thinking it'll help quell his nausea and getting violently oh ill. Public service announcement. Don't yeah. eat things from people named Swango. Truly. Okay? Don't do it. Just don't. What are you just bringing him this open soda? Like just what I'm picturing in yeah. my mind, like this open can already. Like, want a drink? Yeah, like, they sure. said it, he brought it in like a styrofoam cup. Okay, so yeah. <sighs> so the the and the the wild thing is he he was obviously very scientific, like scientific in his um, interests because he calls up these people after they've been like after they get sick, and he'll be like, "How are you feeling?" Do you have stomach cramps? Okay. How long did they last? Diarrhea? Yes or no? Um, nausea? How long did the nausea last? When did it start and how long did it last? Like very specific questions about how they That would be so hard feeling. and confusing though because A, you are having some fucking issues. So you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well. And B, he's a doctor. So you're like, Right. I didn't oh, even think about that. Well, True. so they're asking uh, you. So although it's odd, you're kind of like, oh, this oh, is Oh, maybe he's trying to help me out. Yeah. yeah. I actually I did yeah have some diarrhea oh is that bad um yeah no I I totally get that um however I think due largely to his odd behaviors and starting to put the pieces together doing that made some of them start to question they're like okay he's doing this to us isn't he so after their suspicions grew his co-workers um left out a picture of iced tea 
with him, unattended with him. And afterwards, they like, they kind of like had planned this, like, we're going to call out Michael and, you know, his partner, you guys go out, do this thing. We're going to snag the picture, have it tested. So they did. They brought it to Quincy College and that same professor, William Gasser, that had spoken so highly of, of Michael, um, was the one to test the iced tea and it came back with, um, to find that it was contaminated with arsenic. Oh, yeah. That professor just, you dropped the ball there, sir. Opinion has been changed. (laughs) Holy shit. So you're caught. Okay, yeah. but they don't... Can they prove it? At that point, do they... It's like nobody saw or could say for sure. I mean, obviously, they're like, he was in the room. He did it, but... That's so funny you say that because knowing his history, you'd think, oh, they, he's just going to get by. No, they actually did arrest him. Luckily. Oh, but not see, did not see that coming. I didn't think that was going to be the one. Yeah, well... You'll see. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Uh, it's just there's there's so much. He's he was such a piece of shit. Um, he, he is, is he is, is such is. a piece of shit. Truly, I, yeah, I forget he's still he's still out there. Um, and so it's funny he's getting because butthole poked every day. I hope I hope every, so. every day, and, and I hope he does not enjoy it. <laughs> um. So he was arrested and his apartment was searched and the contents were quite disturbing. So this is where they found various types of chemicals and poisons and books on how to kill people. And of course, the infamous scrapbooks of death and carnage. That's it's all fine. It's fine. That's, that's, that's fine. This is normal. Yeah, that's not that okay a deal. Find that at most people's houses. And... <laughs> right. <laughs> normal stuff. He was convicted. Of aggravated battery in 1985. So this is 85. Okay. Um, for poisoning the fellow par- his fellow paramedics. And he was sentenced to five years, which was the maximum for the charge. Which is crazy. This is crazy to me. Is you, you tried to kill, we'll say, four people. Yeah. You just, you only didn't succeed because they, like, did something with it. That, that's, that should still be murder. That's still murder. We just, they didn't die. Attempted, right? Right. It's going to be attempted murder. Right. I, you know, yeah. I think they talked about that on a different um, podcast or something about how, or maybe the person doesn't die, but you still attempted their murder. But just because they don't die, then those people you don't got go lucky. to jail, for, jail yeah. for very long. You're like, what the? Right. They got, like, you so they sheer got lucky they luck. didn't die. Yeah. You should still go to prison for 30 years for attempted murder, not, you know, five years, because they didn't actually die, so it's fine. Five years. What? Yeah. So, in the, and that being the maximum, it's just wild. So, during sentencing, Judge Dennis Cashman says, I, quite frankly, have come to like you as an indiv- individual, Dr. Swango. And it makes it even more difficult to understand why you would do these things. The only explanation I can come to is that inside of Michael Swango, there must be another person. There has to be two Michael Swangos. Otherwise, I could not in any way come to a conclusion that you could have possibly performed the acts that I have found you guilty of. That is, that's just, again, shows you how charming and manipulative and it's wild to think that people can be so 
um, disillusioned by that mm-hmm. or, you know, it's, it's crazy, but it's And true. you've had a lot of, by that time, you've had a lot of horrible serial murderers. So yeah. it's not like it's no, it's not something they've heard about or that there's not these horribly fucked up, incredibly intelligent murderers that you can't make sense of. But to say that you become fond, how do you say that as a judge? I become fond of you. Yeah. I know you just tried to poison these people with arsenic. But Let me stroke your ego for a pretty minute. Pretty nice before guy. I send you to jail. Yeah. Um, I will say though, he does, you know, join the the fight against Swango. Um, he his input is valuable during the rest of this, but um, and he does say, I mean, he was interviewed at one point in time and does say something to the effect of. Um, that he thinks that he understood kind of what Michael was doing. I mean, to the extent that he was doing it, he's like, I, I think, I think if he wanted to kill those people, they would have died. He had plenty of poison in there to do that. Um, but he was just trying to bring them to the brink of death. He was trying to see how far he could push it, how much he could do. He was experimenting. They were his lab rats. Ugh, I didn't even think about it like that because yeah. that's true. Like he could have easily put it in the chicken much yeah. more than right. as soon as they were eating it. That oh, if that was his end game. But then you had to think too. It's like he was just having fun and he didn't want to be. That would have really been suspicious if he killed his all of his paramedic or all, all of his colleagues or whatever. Well, that's even scarier because a lot of people they do these things for the fame. These crazy fucking murderers says say my name. They love these nicknames they're given and they get off on that. But to do it in such secret where you're the only one that knows anything about where that those people are getting sick from and that's just for your own pleasure that's yeah nasty i don't like it but you know it's funny you mentioned fame because during his time in prison when his power was taken away from him he wasn't they had ordered him he wouldn't be allowed to do any kind of food prep or any kind of administering or helping of sorting of like vitamins or medicine he couldn't be around anything like that or water you know whatever um so all of that power had been taken away from him so he turned to get his little bit of um get his jollies with a little bit of fame so he did yeah they they love it right he actually did an interview with uh, reporter John Stossel for 2020, where he professed his innocence, but during a rapid-fire questioning, it effectively broadcast the details of the trial and its findings and what Swango had been convicted of. So people knew he was convicted for poisoning. And it was widely broadcast, and you know people really tuned into it, so... It was it so was at a big that deal. point he was done. I mean, you can't be a doctor after that. Nobody's gonna hire you, right? You're right. He just <laughs> he's done. Right? Yup. <laughs> I wish. I so wish that was it. I mean, especially after like you know everyone know it and everyone knows now. Ugh. Nope. He's he's creative, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so after serving half of his sentence, Michael was released in 1987. What? Yeah. So he moved, at that point, he wanted to distance himself from the scandal, so he moved to Newport News, Virginia. During this time, um, he became a counselor at a state career development center, Um, but interestingly, he was forced out shortly after because they caught him using company time to work on his scrapbooks, and it was frowned upon. Please don't cut up your uh, death photos while on the job. Right. It's 
not only weird, but it's on our time. Mm-hmm. He, is, he was obviously very single-minded in his desires um, and how he wanted to spend his time. He then gained employment as a lab technician at a coal exporter, and enough time had passed since the 2020 episode that they weren't putting this together. They, I, I don't know if they didn't realize Michael was the guy, mm-hmm. um, or if they just kind of glazed over the details of what it was all about, but um, he didn't raise any concerns when some of the employees became very ill and almost dying from food poisoning. They must not have listened to the PSA from earlier. Must I said, not. don't eat Wango food. <laughs> they weren't listening. They should have listened. Um, during this time in Newport News, he met Kristen Kinney. So Kristen was a beautiful young nurse um, who was actually engaged to someone else, but broke off her engagement to be with Michael. Oops. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Bad choice number one. Um, and he had actually been applying for medical positions at the hospital that she worked at. And there were rumors about him being denied due to a scandal in his past. So her friends were like warning her about this. But again, we've as we've learned, he's charming. He's manipulative. And she decided to break it off and um, with her old fella and move forward in this relationship with Michael. How do you even do that? How does he function enough to support a relationship long enough that you would make that kind of decision? Like to stop being married to some, or stop, you know, being engaged. Someone you obviously were very close to. How do you do that? Did he have any issues when he was a kid? So there was nothing... Like with social, like socially, or you know, yeah, like you burned cats and shit, you know, right. all the little. Is there any markers? The scrapbook started at besides the end, okay, yeah. so that's where he would get it. Nothing else reported. I don't know if it would have been considered. And there's not really any other girlfriends before Kristen. Though, aside from the one that he had at Millican, that okay. when she broke up with him, he became a social pariah. But okay. no, nothing other than that. He was very, you know. Throughout his time, he was in the Marines. He was He's a doctor. He's an EMT. He's very focused and very his time is, is very caught up in studies and what he wants to do, which is be a part of other people's death. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem... I mean, this is the only other one that they mentioned, aside from the girlfriend that he had at Milliken. And they don't mention a lot of friends. Right, where you can get that inside scoop on like what yeah. kind of person he was. Because really everyone right. else, they're just seeing him in that professional mindset. You know, right. How was he? During, while he's putting on right. his best show. Mm-hmm. Yep. In September 1991, Swingle applied for residency program at the University of South Dakota. 1991, that seems like so close to now. Like, think about the other... Six years prior to crimes we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, So six years after he was convicted of poisoning, um, he's applying for a residency program at the University of South Dakota and he flew out there to interview. He lied about his prior convictions, um, which would come up in a, you know, basic background check. He stated that it was due to a bar room. He got assault for a bar room brawl and kind of like, just got caught up in the situation where they were out to get him. And he was just so upset that his opportunity to become a doctor was taken from him, essentially, and that um, South Dakota, the University of South Dakota, could be his second chance. And 
um, you know, the sob story, essentially, but just pure manipulation. And it really struck a chord with the director um, who interviewed him. And he was given his second chance in South Dakota. He also, I, you know, during this time, he was falsifying documents. And there was talking about using a, a Xerox machine to, you know, layer documents to show um, approvals or just, you know. Yeah. Whatever he needed. So after he got this good news, he flies back and proposes to Kristen and they move to South Dakota together to start their new lives. Oh, girl. And that is where we are going to end episode one on Dr. Swango. We will pick back up next episode with his residency in South Dakota. Thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, spookies. If you want to keep up with the Mombies, check out our TikTok at Mombies Horror. Follow us on Facebook, Mombies Horror Podcast. You can view our Instagram at Mombies Horror. You can send case suggestions to mombieshorror at gmail.com. You can join our Discord, Mombies Horror, where we'll have discussions, opportunities to talk to the Mombies eventually. And there's also another place for case suggestions. And you can join our Patreon, Mombies Horror, where currently the money will go towards upgrading equipment. And eventually you'll get bonuses for being in the categories like special episodes only available to patrons.